Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Ori Anav. He's the founder at Dragonfruit. Ori, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing is interesting. Um, but maybe kind of before we get into uh, Dragon Fruit, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with kind of where you grew up. Um, so I kind of moved around a lot when I was a kid. I mostly, you know, through middle school and high school, I was growing up between the UK and Switzerland. Um, so I sound weird, but um, yeah, it was it was mostly in those two places, even though I was born here in the States. Okay, so I'm assuming obviously like one of your family members got transferred there for work or something? Yeah, something like that. We we started out here and then uh, and then to London and then to Switzerland. And then once I left high school um, in Switzerland, I moved back to London for university and then back here and yeah, just kind of bouncing around. Okay, so what did you end up taking in university? I did uh, business administration. Okay, and so what, what made you want to kind of take that? Um, well, kind of a family concern, I guess. Um, everybody in my family, it's like, it's, it's basically what we do. Um, you know, my, my, my father was in real estate. My grandfather was in various things, primarily meat. Um, but it was always, it was always the kind of thing that we, uh, that we do in the family. It's like, we, we, we see a thing and I learned from a very early age that if you think that, you can do something and you can do it well and that it makes sense to, you know, provide for the family or whatever. The best thing to do really is to take a chance and go for it. So that's that's how I grew up. And so that's that's why I went and I did that at university. And then I realized um, fairly early on that really, you know, being an undergrad and learning business doesn't give you a lot of insight into the real world. So for a couple of years, um, I spent um, trying to learn as much as I could from from my family business, and then I went into law school uh, here in the states in Washington D.C. to uh, get as many different angles on the problem as possible, uh, which I think was actually really valuable for me. Um, and you know, they they say that there are a variety of reasons to go to law school, most of them bad. Uh, but I actually think that uh, I, I think that if if you're a business person and you really want to understand every nook and cranny of what you're doing, uh, going to law school is a really valuable experience. Sure, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Did you kind of um, ever have a passion for the law, kind of growing up, or it was kind of once you you know were a little bit older and you were done your degree that you were like, mm, you know, maybe I should get learn a little bit more about the law or like. How did you kind of decide to go to law school, I guess? Well, uh, other than my um, th than my work life, my personal life has always been uh, in two things. It's been in performing 
and in arguing with people. <laughs> you put those two things together and really the, you know, the law is a natural place to go. Uh, I did uh, have a passion for uh, learning problems and solving problems from from a legal perspective. It's all about the details. It's about the the minutia that you can sort of delve into and figure out how this little fact applies to that. And it, I mean, t to a certain extent, it it feels like the kind of problem solving you do in in computer programming when you're like debugging. You're you're looking at a problem and you need to look at every little aspect and figure out how one piece affects the whole. Um, so I found that, uh, really interesting. And then on top of that, I get to mess around and like put on a big show in a courtroom. What could be more fun? Sure. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And so you, you graduate law school. What did you end up doing post, post, uh, schooling? So I worked in the law for about, um, a year and a half before I founded dragon fruit. Um, basically the, I don't, I don't know if this is everybody's experience, but at least for me coming out of law school at the time that I did, um, was a really terrible time to be a newly graduated lawyer. Um, not a lot of jobs out there, etc. So, you know, I was doing, I was doing some things that I didn't really enjoy. And then, um, it kind of came around that we were talking, me and my friends, we were talking about ideas, different ways to go. And, uh, and I guess, I mean, it, it, it ties in very, uh, very closely to like the origin story of, of Dragonfruit as a, as a company and as an idea. Um, but it, it sort of came to pass where we, where we were looking at things and deciding that we could do this thing for real. And so uh, I wasn't having much fun being, being an attorney in, in the way that I was able at the time. Uh, so I decided to, to quit and go for this instead. Okay, so I guess... To, like walk me through kind of the idea and coming up with um, dragon fruit and what it is and kind of why you decided to uh, start it up. Sure, sure. Um, so dragon fruit is the geeky dating app. It is a dating app for geeks by geeks. That's how we like to say it right. because um, essentially how it came about was that a couple of my friends, we would get together every Friday night and we would sit around a table and we would play board games because we're all massive nerds. And we would sit around and we would drink beer and we would talk about our lives and we would play board games and um, not Monopoly or Risk, mind you. I'm talking about the really good stuff. Uh, so, and, and, and we sat around and one of my friends had been single for a really long time, pretty much throughout law school. It was, it was coming up on four years. And another of my friend was kind of recently single and had a pretty nasty breakup a few months earlier. And we were encouraging these two guys to go out and you know, try out the online dating thing. We, we all, I mean, you, you can't not be aware of it as a cultural phenomenon. And um, and eventually they agreed, and it it happened that every week we were sitting around and we were talking about uh, how they were getting on, who they were meeting, what kind of conversations they were having. It became like a group project to you know get the the funniest lines into their uh, into their profile, or you know what kind of message you should send to this person or another. And it, it was it was like a group activity. But after a while, after I think a couple of months, it it were it, it came to the point where we were like, so how is it going? And they just said terrible it's it's terrible it's it it doesn't work for people like us and you know people like us being nerdy guys who spend their friday nights drinking beer and uh and and playing board games um and so 
we started kind of trying to diagnose what the issue was, um, why it was that geeks like them weren't able to uh, find any kind of success. And I'm, I mean, the, these are not unattractive people. These are well-educated, all lawyers, um, you know, uh, on, on paper and in person, really, really wonderful people, my friends. Um, and so we figured out basically that there was kind of like a systematic barrier to geeky people, people who just have alternative interests, let's say. Sure. I mean, we can get into what makes a geek, uh, but 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 essentially, I mean, you you kind of know it when you see it, right? Um, and it appeared to them that it, it wasn't working, and we sat there and we tried to figure it out, and we started instead to talk about how we would do it if we were to, how would we do things differently? And so we kind of pooled all our ideas together, and uh, and that's when Dragonfruit came around. Okay, so how like are you? From from what I kind of gathered is you're not necessarily you're like a non-technical founder, correct? That's right. Yes. So how did you? What were some of your other friends um, coders, or like how did you kind of get version one built, or even like a prototype built? Um, so actually, none of us are coders. All of them lawyers, like I said. Um, I I actually I got really lucky because I met a person I met a guy through a friend who became at least in the first like six months or so of the company's existence became like a de facto CTO even though he was working um, as as technically an outside contractor but he like designed all of the systems I just got really lucky meeting the right people and um, and kind of convincing them that this was worth their time because. You know, you, you you have an idea and you have a little money to put down, but I'm definitely not at the, um, you know, at the big company level where I can put millions upon millions of dollars into a platform, especially not to build a prototype. So it was, it was, you know, just making making the right connections, making friends, and having being lucky enough to find people who share my vision um, means that you can do really quite a lot with really not very much at all. Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's interesting kind of getting, always talking to kind of non-technical co-founders and kind of how they found the ability to actually, you know, build the thing, right? And it's, those are always kind of fascinating stories to me. So I'm curious then, you you basically pitched this, you, you got a bunch of contractors to do this, were you self-funded then, or did you raise some yeah. money? No, no, all self-funded. In fact, we haven't we haven't gone for a for a seed round yet. Everything is uh, everything is being bootstrapped by me, and um, it's it's been interesting. Um, my opinion of startup funding um, is kind of mixed. On the one hand, I think that I had way more freedom than I had any right to being, you know, unbeholden to my financial backers. It meant that I got to make all of the uh, all of the decisions myself. I didn't have to make compromises on design or on targets or anything like that. But at the same time, I was also free to make all of the mistakes on my own. Being a non-technical person, it meant that I didn't have any of the expertise that would be 
you know, really important for, for a startup like mine. I, I got lucky in a lot of places that I had good advice. One of the things, my like mantra in, in business is to always know when you need good advice and to always listen when you receive it. Um, so I always ask as many questions as possible. I do my best to learn as much as possible, but also recognize that there's no way that I can know everything. Um, and I think that, uh, anybody who is bootstrapping would consider outside funding, not because of the, of the financial support that it provides. Um, even though obviously that's very, very important for the longevity of a company. Um, but also People who are industry leaders are the ones who tend to be investing directly in these startups. And those leaders have so much experience, so many contacts, and they just know so much more than the entrepreneur necessarily, especially since the, um, you know, the, the, the founder of the company is likely to be unable to see past the immediate. You know, you don't see the forest for the trees. Uh, and having that level of perspective is often really very, very valuable. So um, I made lots of mistakes being left to my own devices, and I learned from every one of them. Um, so I think that if you can afford to do that, uh, then then that's okay. But there is a whole lot of value beyond the dollar sign um, that comes with getting funding from outside. Sure. Totally. Um, do you care to share any mistakes that you would recommend to other non-technical founders that you're like, you know, I wish I really didn't do, you know, this or these few things? I think the most important thing for me was the fact that I did not have the technical expertise, okay. which meant that a few of the contractors who I hired turned out to not be very good. And there was no way for me to know that as a layperson before I saw the final product. Um, I know a lot more about it now, but when you leave something in somebody's hands that isn't necessarily your, um, your area of expertise, it can lead to problems. It can, it can, um, you, you're essentially flying blind sure. right now. Um, a few months ago, I hired a, a, a CTO to come on board. He's an equity founder, um, and I feel so much better about everything because not only does he have um, a vested interest in the success of the company, which a contractor does not, sure. um, he also cares enough to teach me about the things that I'm missing. Right. It means, it means that altogether it feels a lot more like a team rather than a guy paying someone else to do a thing. Um, and, and I think that if I were to do all of this again, I would be looking for a technical founder a lot sooner than I did. And I would probably be able to avoid all of the uncertainty and all of the mistakes that I made in relation to, um, you know, some unscrupulous or incompetent, um, people who just didn't have my best interest or the best interest of the company, uh, at heart. Sure. No, I, I think that's really good advice. So I'm curious then, kind of walk me through kind of how people use, um, you know, the app and, and the site, um, just kind of from a first, first time user. From a first, okay. Um, so one of the most important design philosophies I have is that 
um, anything that you see, you, you want to try to keep um, user education to a minimum. And by that, I mean, you don't want anybody to have to learn anything new. It needs to seem familiar, feel familiar and everything that you every action that you take with a new platform needs to have the expected result sure um, now that's just kind of a philosophy of user experience but um if you if you want to introduce something to somebody new you need to to something new you need to keep the element of surprise very very minimal you're you're introducing them to a new thing you say hey this is this is new it works in a slightly different way and the the inner workings of it may be different and the results may be better but really you want people to um to really feel as if they don't need to learn anything there's no effort involved in in joining um everything needs to be as self-explanatory as possible so basically a new user will come on and uh will sign up and uh we went with a really cute uh sign up process where it's kind of narrative it says you know i would like to be known as you know my name is you know this i i am a i am a 27 you know, year old man looking for women who is into the following things and once you get past that first screen and it's very short um we try again it's it's removing as many barriers as possible to the end product which is the end goal which is you know to to get people talking and to meet new people and to find potential matches um once you do that you're basically in and you can customize your uh, profile the way that you would expect to be able to do you um you have the ability to browse users via our search page um which uses our matching algorithm in a way that I think uh, doesn't happen with a lot of different sites. Um, and then you've got the matching section, which uses the matching algorithm to its fullest potential uh, to give you people who are closest to you in terms of your demographic information, but also in terms of your interest profile. Uh, so I don't know. I, The whole idea behind Dragonfruit, the problem that we are solving, the problem that my friends were having that we came up with, was that um, there is way too much of an element of randomness in okay. dating sites in general. Uh, and that means that when a person is geeky in one way or another, they don't have a, a way of knowing that the person who they're talking to is going to be into the same stuff or will even understand the passion that the, that the person has for whatever subject matter it is. Um, you know, geeky people are passionate about a thing and they want to share that passion. They want people to at least understand where they're coming from. And so other than a dating app for geeks, which is just kind of putting the dating app into the niche of geekiness, Uh, we, we try to go a lot further than that and match people according to what they are interested in the most, which um, which required the, the design of a fairly complex uh, matching algorithm uh, that links into a giant database of geekiness that we compiled. Uh, we call it the Geek Dex because we're very creative with naming <laughs> things. Um, and the, the Geek Dex is humongous. It is, you know tens of thousands of rows of um, of what we call geekdoms, which connect with every other geekdom in a, 
in a variety of qualitative ways. So you don't just say things like, I'm into comic books. You will say things that are way more specific than that. You will identify a favorite character. You will um, give a particular genre that you're most into. You can say, you know, this issue of whatever series really spoke to me in, in, in whatever way, and that will generate a different set of results than the thing that is just, you know, one one point over because each uh, because each thing comes with its own particular quality. Um, and so we run that through the algorithm and basically sort our users to give you your best match first. And that's really where things, I think, are different from other dating apps because you don't get best match first in a lot of, in a, in, in a lot of the different sites. What you get is... Is it the right age? Is it the right area geographically? Is it the right gender and sexual orientation? Good. Now it's random. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. And I, I think like you can build a really good business just in these kind of little niche markets. I, I get kind of like being a geek is like it's a niche, but it's a pretty big one, right? Oh, yeah, and definitely. And it's kind of becoming more and more popular and it's almost becoming a bit more like mainstream and kind of like trendy and cool to be kind of into all the stuff that was kind of considered really geeky years ago is kind of popular now, right? For some weird reason, right? Well, it is a, it is a really good time to be a geek in the world because mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, things geek culture has kind of taken over, which is really gratifying um, from, from one perspective, it can cause a little bit of uh, friction in others, you know, uh, sure hobbyists, if you will, uh, who, who, who are into one thing or the other. But um, two things. The first is it's, it's really cool because I think that a lot of people identify as, as one kind of geek or another, even if you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. Uh, when we built the Geek Decks, it's huge, but it doesn't cover everything. And so we left the door open for new additions with people. If users come in and they, you know, type in something and it it happens to not be in there. All they need to do is click, is hit enter or click save or whatever. And we get to add that in alongside, you know, the whole universe that surrounds it. And the things that people come and, and, you know, the user generated geekdoms that we get are really fascinating wow. and you never would really expect it. I mean, people come around and, you know, I knew, for example, that there are a lot of people who are into train spotting and they really like, you know, trains, modeling, um, stuff like that. But I wasn't really expecting somebody to come in and define themselves as a wine geek. But sure. when you say it, you're like actually makes a lot of sense. You can totally geek out about different kinds of wine and different vintages and how to tell the difference and what, I mean, as a wine drinker myself, I know that I can talk for hours about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Call me pretentious. Most people do. <laughs> so, I mean, allowing users who come and the, the other cool thing about it is that it's a self-selected set. Sure. The people who are signing up for Dragonfruit are people who signed up for Dragonfruit. They're people who know the deal, this is a geek dating app. And that means that even if their geekdom is a little bit outside of what you would expect, they still call themselves geeks. They know their own level of passion. And that means that anybody that you meet on the site is going to, at the very least, get what it means to geek out about something. Totally. Yeah, no, that that's actually a really interesting way of putting it. 
So I'm curious then how um, I, I know right now you guys are free, but how yes. do you guys um, plan on monetizing this eventually at some point? I'm assuming, right? Yes. Um, so we have a pretty unusual um, revenue model these days. Okay. And that is the idea of delivering value. Weird. I know, right? <laughs> so one of the things that really bugged us when we were sitting around the table and talking ideas and how we would make things better was the way in which internet commerce in general tends to try to you know, try try to, to leech money out of you in one way or the other. There are a bunch of unscrupulous practices that really did not suit the way that I would run a business. So, for example, having, you know, giant video ads that come in and trick you into accidentally pressing a button. None of that is 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 what I'm interested in at all. What I want to do is to create... Uh, premium features that would in no way encroach on the basic function of the app. So if you want, you can always enjoy, you know, browsing, talking to people, you create an account, you can, you can, you can message people, you can use the powerful search algorithm, etc. All of that will remain as it is. But then on top of that, we want to create a bunch of different features that would genuinely deliver value that I think people would be happy to pay for. Um, as an example, uh, one of my favorite aspects of geek culture is the convention scene. Sure. And I know that there is a lot of interest when I've mentioned this to people. Um, there's been a lot of interest of applying some form of a dating app into the convention scene oh, that allows people to talk to one another, you know, on site and to find people who are right there and then. Sure. And that allows people to meet up more or less instantaneously. So, um, I mean, how cool would it be if you're walking through the convention hall and you get a little ping in your pocket that says, hey, this person who has duly opted into this is in the same room as you right now and is into the same stuff as you right now and is looking for, you know, to meet new people because they are Dragon Fruit members. And you have the ability to say, hey, you know, there's this panel in an hour. You want to check it out together? Sure. That kind of thing. Okay. I, I, I'm always looking for ways of innovating and finding interesting new ways to to bring people together and to add to the to the experience and some of that stuff will come with a price tag sure so when do you think you'll start rolling out some of these kind of premium features um, I'm thinking early next year. Right now, we're focusing first on refining the platform. We there are there are some technical issues left over from, uh, you know, from the early days. Like I said, some of the contractors turned out to not be the best. Sure. But uh, but but now that I have my own tech team, it's uh, things are running a lot more smoothly. We're working on uh, fixing things up and making it really as. Uh, as good as it can be um, to serve the community, because you know I'm doing I'm doing this for my friends and by extension the 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 rest of the geek community. So I want to make sure that it's as good as it can possibly be before I start focusing on adding things to it that might actually generate some income. Um, I think that uh, yeah, so so early next year is probably where we are looking. Um, 
Yeah. No, that that's that makes sense. Um, and realistically, that's not really that far away, right? Like we're almost no, at the end certainly of the year not. Anyway, so yeah. Um, so I'm curious then, how has the um app kind of been received so far? It seems like you guys are growing and you're 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 getting more users, but how? What's the kind of feedback been so far from from your user base? Um, it's, it's been good. I think that, um, unfortunately some of the technical difficulties did affect users, uh, at least in the first couple of weeks, because, um, actually one of the biggest problems we had was that there was so much interest that, uh, in the first day when we launched the app, that it completely crashed our servers. We had no, we did not anticipate, uh, the volume that we got on day one. Um, but I think that everybody who I have spoken to is on board with the concept, is really excited for it. And the vast majority of the time, things work as well as they should. Um, Probably the best thing for me is hearing that people are talking to one another and are making connections and are going on dates and are making friends and doing all the things that you're meant to do. Uh, I have some some really great stories from uh, from from users who tell me that they've met somebody and that, you know, they've been going out for several weeks or months and that, you know, things are growing great and and things like that. Um, You know, testimonials, uh, success stories are I mean, just fantastic when when they come around. And they do come around, which is awesome. Um, You can't just look at these things from from the perspective of pure numbers, even though the numbers have also been overwhelmingly positive. Sure, that's awesome. As as, as an example, uh, I had in mind when I started um, a number that I needed to reach by the middle of 2017. I was like, by June in 2017, if I don't have X number of users, then I'm unlikely to be able to make this work. Okay. And within, I think, the first week, we had tripled up on that number. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Number-wise, it's really good. And... On the other side of it, the the human factor is also very very positive. I mean, I'm 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 very happy. I, I I get to I get to come into work every day and you know see emails from people being like, hey, you know, just to just to let you know, I know you guys are a startup and it's small and everything, but this actually works and we really like it. And you know, I met somebody and we're very happy. And like that that makes me really very happy on a personal level. Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So. I'm curious, do you want to share any ways that you kind of marketed um, kind of pre-launch and at the early kind of stages of launch? Because I think a lot of people are always curious how, you know, everybody almost wants to crash their server day one, right? And you guys yeah. achieve that, right? Like, yeah. And, and in some ways, it's almost a, a sign of uh, like success, right? If you crash your server day one, right? Definitely. Well, I well I like to think so. I don't know. Um so here's here's the problem with a social product like ours. Okay. Um, it only works, the technology can be as good as it can be, um, but it only works when you have people. Sure. And the more people, it, it isn't just it isn't just a vanity thing and it isn't just, you know, you get more people, therefore you are successful. The the, the number of people who are involved improves the quality of the product intrinsically. Sure. Um, you know, being the only person on a dating site is the same as is, is the same as being the only person in the world with a telephone. It, you got nobody to call. 
Um, so I think that if anybody is considering making, you know, starting a, a social, particularly online business like ours, uh, really, you do need to start campaigning early. You need to start evangelizing early. I founded the company at the beginning of May of 2015, and it wasn't until the middle of October 2015, uh, so several months later, that the um, that we had our first web-based prototype ready to go. Okay. But in that time, other than you know finding the guy to build it and meeting people and networking, etc., um, I decided that the best thing to do would be to start letting people know. And getting people involved in the idea. And if you go, the internet is an incredible resource for this kind of thing. So the first thing I did was I started a blog. Okay. I started writing about my ideas. I'm a big believer in kind of open source creativity. Sure. Um, some people were like, well, if you write everything in your blog, then somebody else can just come and do it. Uh, like, well, if they do it and they do it better than fair play, but I need this in order to um in, in in order to let people know what we're doing so that day one there will be people lined up at the gate ready to come in and, and talk to one another um so i started writing and i started engaging in the community more than i had previously like i said i am a massive nerd I go to conventions. I, you know, I know the guys at my local comic book store. I go to board game nights at, you know, bars and cafes around the city. Sure. But I, I, I wanted to find a way to engage with people um, in, in a slightly different way. So other than going around and letting people know and kind of flyering a little and just talking and having as many conversations as I could with individuals on the ground, I started writing on the blog things that I thought that people would find interesting, not just about myself and about the product, because nobody really wants to be marketed to directly ever, I sure. think. That's kind of the the advent of streaming services over traditional television has, has taught us that. So Finding, for example, um, lesser known but very talented cosplayers in the in in the convention scene um, was was really great because it meant that I could have conversations. I could look at their work. I could showcase it on the website. They feel very good about that. And then they share it with the people who they know and they come to us and they go, oh, interesting. This whole thing is like coming soon. Um, you know, stuff like that, uh, I think, is is really valuable. I was lucky enough to meet several uh, very talented artists that gave our, um, you know, the blog a certain flavor to it that gave like a real brand identity. Um, and there were that. So, so I think that I think early on before I actually had a product or anything to show anyone, it was just about word of mouth and the, the introduction of ideas in ways that doesn't annoy people sure. um and and i think that word of mouth is also like you need to take every opportunity you have to talk to people and to say you know tell your friends you do you know anyone who is single i bet you do and you know this thing is coming and then you can kind of start hyping up the idea of a beta you can do a closed beta where you know people want to, who want to be involved in you know testing and prototyping things uh, very early on, they can sign up to a closed mailing list and only those people get invited and they start talking to one another. And, you know, the, the, 
the geek community, my niche, if you want to call it that, is a very involved one. It's sure. a wonderful community to be working with because everybody wants to be part of what they're consuming. Um, and I found that there were a lot of people who were really very willing to just help in doing this thing because it was for their own benefit. Sure. That makes sense. So, and their friends' benefits, right? Exactly. Yeah, and okay. You know, so so that was another thing. Um, let's see. Uh, for social products, I think that keeping things geographically limited is important because you don't want uh, early on when you don't have that many people, you don't want your user base to be too diffuse. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, if you have 100 users and they're in, you know, 50 different cities around the world, nah, that's not going to be terribly useful as an idea, as a concept. It's all, it's all very nice, but really what people want is to be able to meet somebody five minutes away and go to go, go to a thing and like, and that, I mean, building a platform for long distance relationships is an idea, but it isn't my idea. And it isn't something that, uh, that I think people are terribly interested in. Sure. So keeping things tight, I think is, is important as well. So did you, what city did you kind of launch in initially then? New York. Okay, that's that's what I assumed. And then how long after did you kind of move outside of New York? And, and <laughs> how far is your reach now? Honestly, uh, it didn't take very long to go beyond New York. Uh, the reason being that I started getting emails from people saying, hey, we read about, we, we read about, dragon fruit on you know on mashable on the chive on wherever else we were we were covered and by the way um do not anybody out there who is launching a product don't underestimate the power of well what now is traditional media it's not all social media um the fact that we issued a press release on the day of uh on the day of launch and then kind of pitched to a bunch of different writers for a bunch of different big websites and things definitely contributed to uh, to the success in the early days to getting those numbers up so quickly and crashing our servers sure. because I think it was really I mean mashable in the chive that we had we had a thing on the AV club and uh, wow. I mean about two weeks after we launched um, Chris Hardwick who is awesome by the way sure. uh did a segment about us on his show on on comedy central wow and i think yeah that was that's incredible like, right the, the coolest thing that has ever happened to me i think um and like we had nothing to do with it we didn't pitch him or anything like that but we had spoken to people at nerdist and at uh at various other websites and things like that so when people started emailing me saying hey we read about you but it doesn't like but but your website isn't available in my area, I thought, well, the demand is there. We should fix that. Sure. So we did. Makes and that's sense. what really made me think that. And I think it's it's possible it might have been a little too early to do it, but at the time I wasn't all that concerned about um, about what I said about diffusion. I think that again, had, if I were doing this again, I would probably have held back on other parts of the world uh, for a little bit longer. But um, but at the time, it was just really cool to know that there was interest in places that we didn't anticipate, and so we made it as available as we could to the places that wanted it. Um, and and so now we have users in places that I never would have 
that, that I never would have thought about. Um, and, and like really concentrated pockets in places that I did not think of. Um, Sweden is one place where we have a lot of users. Oh, wow. Um, Argentina seems to huh. be ticking along very well. Uh, and I just, and of course in the UK and in, in various parts in Europe and things like that. But, um, it's, 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 it's really humbling, I guess, sure. to see there are people in, in those places that are into the idea. Um, and it's, it's, it's encouraging as well, because I think that though in America right now, it's a good time to be a geek, that isn't necessarily the case in other places. Right now, sure. geek culture, geek chic, I suppose, um, is really in, but that is not the case in a lot of different places. The reason that I thought this would work here is because I saw how different it was from when I grew up in Europe and I was, you know, playing video games and I had my one friend with whom I would play video games and it wasn't something that we were really allowed to talk about. And of course that was, you know, more than a decade ago and things may have changed since, but I don't think that that, that society as a whole is as accepting of these things in a lot of different places. So I'm sure. glad that we can provide a platform for people in other places as well, not just here in the States where things tend to be a lot easier from the get-go. No, I, I think that's awesome. And we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, so maybe let's close the show with um, mentioning where people can f get more information and find you guys online. Sure, absolutely. Um, dragonfruitapp.com is sort of the hub of uh, everything. You can find links there to the uh, iOS app store and um, the Google Play store for your Android devices. Um, of course, you know, you can just search for us in those stores, but dragonfruitapp.com is where you are going to, is where you're going to find everything, including our blog, which is still very much a going concern. Um, I've had the 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 honor to work with some very talented writers and occasionally I write there a little bit as well to uh, to keep people updated on uh, things that are happening inside the company and uh, just in general stuff that I'm thinking about. Um, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Proj Dragonfruit, which is P R O J, which is short for project. Um, so Proj Dragonfruit, um, Dragonfruit app on Instagram, Dragonfruit on uh, Facebook and really we kind of cross post across a bunch of different platforms so you can keep up to date with us uh, anywhere there um, let's see am I forgetting anything I don't think so <laughs> if I am you can find it on the website anyway sure well I really appreciate you taking the time out of the, your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and you know who knows what the future kind of holds and I look forward to seeing what you guys do you know for the rest of the year and kind of beyond Thank you very much for having me. This Great, has been man. Fun. All right, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.